Thank you for listening to Simple Church, where we love God, love others, and serve our world. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Tom Allen. Well, welcome this morning. My name is Tom, and uh, it's so good to meet with you and to think about who's the greatest of all time. That's why our whole series is about for the next uh, two and a half months until Easter, and uh, we look forward to learning about the greatness of our Lord. And so I hope you've had a great week and that this will be just a great morning for you. We saw God's will play out last Sunday night when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And uh, so that was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. And it was quite an evening, you know, of uh, just fun and football and Miami making an awful lot of money, okay? That stadium, Hard Rock, holds 65,326 people, and the tickets ran from $4,020 to $60,000. So altogether, with everything that went on, Miami made over a half a billion dollars this past weekend. And most importantly, what impressed me as I watched all the festivities going on all weekend was that they were unbelievably well-prepared for that event. They had worked for a year and a half to be prepared for the Super Bowl. And it's been said, preparation is half the battle. And uh, the Iowa caucuses, I think, wish that they had known that uh, this past week. But we know that that's true. You see, anything that's significant has intensive and thorough preparation. And most of it's behind the scenes. But what we realize is that things don't just happen. You go into someone's home, and they have a wonderful home-cooked meal for you there. What you realize is someone spent hours pretty much behind the scenes, no one seeing, so that you can enjoy that meal. And isn't it amazing how in a half an hour, all those hours of work are just devoured, and all you got is dirty dishes, you know? But it took a lot of preparation. Anytime you uh, enjoy a musical performance or see a splendid sports event, you are reminded that there were years of training and practice that went into that. Every time you have to go under surgery, you know that there's a doctor who has spent time, many hours, and nurses that have spent many hours of preparation. At least you hope that's true. And one of the things you never want to hear a doctor say is, oops. You just don't want to hear that. You know? Well, the same is true of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went under unbelievable preparation for 30 years to be able to have his three and a half years of ministry. And we don't realize that because when we go to the Gospels, all we see is all these wonderful teachings and these wonderful miracles, but we don't realize there was so much preparation. Last Sunday, we saw the first part of that preparation was for him to be born, the greatest birth of all times. Today, we want to think about the greatest preparation of all times. And so what I want to do is to look with you at four main areas of his preparation. There's going to be a lot of scripture, so put your thinking caps on and, and just know that the word of God, you know, is like a sword that pierces in our hearts. So we need to hear what it says. The first preparation of Jesus was he was learning all the time. 
He was learning truth. He was the son of God, but his deity didn't mean that he didn't need to learn and be prepared as a human for his ministry here on this earth. He started his public ministry at 30 years of age. And, and what's interesting, except for those stories about the birth that we celebrate at Christmas, very little is known about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. The other glimpse we get besides his birth is when there's kind of a parenting story that's told. I think it's rather humorous, actually, what happened. If you're a parent, you'll understand. Let me read it to you from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Uh, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Have you ever lost one of your children in the mall? I mean, that's always a parent's fear, you know, when you're in a big crowd of people somewhere that you might lose your child. So they started looking for him. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And three days later, they stopped. They were searching for three days. You'd be pretty frantic by that time as a parent. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting around the religious teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. A 12-year-old. Supposed to be playing Xbox, you know, or something else. You know, what's the latest thing? Whatever. What? The Switch. The Switch. I'm sorry, okay? I'm, you know, I'm mature. Um, Anyway. Um, So, they were sitting with the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him, I thought this is interesting, 12 years old. These are the religious people in the temple, you know? 12 years old. They were all amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. So his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I can almost see her saying, You're going to have a time out as soon as we get home, son. And Jesus said, But why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Another translation says, I must be about my father's business. They didn't understand what he meant. In other words, he said, I've got to be about my father's business of learning and preparing. Because as God, I know everything, but as human, I've got to be prepared for all that my father wants to do through me. They didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. I love this statement. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. In other words, she watched that 12-year-old. And instead of playing switch, okay, he was there in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, learning and amazing them with what he had learned and the insight that he had. Now, I love the last verse here. It's one of my life verses, Luke 2.52. It says this. And it kind of summarizes the rest of Jesus growing up in these 30 years. Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom is where you take knowledge 
and you know how to apply it to your life. So Jesus grew in the wisdom of applying knowledge and truth to your life so that it affects your life. Secondly, he grew in stature. That means he was growing up physically. And he grew in favor with God. That's spiritually. And in favor with all the people. That's socially. So the first part of Jesus' preparation, see, we just think, well, he just came and he had it all together. No, he, he was God. God has it all together. He knows everything. But God chose to humble himself to become one of us so that he could identify with us. And so as human, Jesus need, needed to learn the truth that ultimately would influence everything he shared in his three and a half years of ministry. So learning was his first preparation. The second was his baptism. And, uh, and when Jesus was baptized, it was the beginning of his public ministry from that point on. So we read about it in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Notice what it says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And I think this is interesting, okay? Here's Jesus coming to John, and John knows he's special. He might even be the Messiah. He's special. But John tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> he says, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, Jesus. So why are you coming to me? See, John understood his place in history. You'll see it in just a moment. But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. Now there's three important things we need to see in Jesus' baptism. Okay, The first is this. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. That was an Old Testament prophecy. That there would be someone who would come and prepare the way for Jesus. We read about it in Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. And here's what Isaiah wrote. He said, look, I am sending my messenger. Now, that term messenger means a herald. And a herald was a person, when there was royalty, a herald would always go before that person and proclaim, the royalty is coming, the king is coming, prepare the way for the king, he's coming. That was John the Baptist. He was the herald. He was the messenger ahead of Jesus. It says in Isaiah, and John, this herald, will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. But you know who heralded Jesus' way? It was John. And, and if you read about John, he was kind of a crude dude, okay? He was, he was rough. He was, he was uh, a man who wore animal skins. And he ate wild foods like wild honey and wild locust pods off of the locust trees. People think those are little critters, but they aren't. It's just pods that were hanging on these locust trees. And he'd eat. that was what he ate. He was nothing significant. But he was chosen to prepare the way for the Lord. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 7 through 8. This messenger was John the Baptist. And John announced... Someone is coming soon. Prepare the way. 
Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was happening here at Jesus' baptism is he was identifying with our humanity. He was identifying with us. He was not a sinner, but he identified with sinners. And two years later, he would fully identify with us when he went to the cross and he gave his life and shed his life's blood for us to pay the penalty for our sins. So when he was baptized, he was identifying with us, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, and he was beginning and was anointed for his earthly ministry. Here's how it says it in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Boy, is it cool to see that. Because right there, the Father did the three things that every father needs to do almost every day for their children. And that is, first of all, to tell them, I love you. And secondly, I'm proud of you. And number three, you are really, really good at. And then he tells them what they're good at. And the father is saying, I love you and I'm proud of you, my son. And I anoint you with the Holy Spirit, this dove that comes like, uh, like a, uh, a symbol over you. And I anoint you with this spirit because you are really good at fulfilling my plan for your life to be not only the teacher of mankind, but the redeemer, the forgiver, the savior of mankind. That was all part of Jesus' baptism. And I want to encourage you, just take a break right here, a little promotion. On March 29th, we're going to have a baptismal service. And the reason we have these red cards on the table today, and we'll have them for a couple more weeks, is because if you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life, you know you've asked Christ to come into your heart. One of the things the Lord says after we have believed in him as the Savior of our lives is we need to follow him in what we call believer's baptism. We do not baptize babies here or anything like that. We dedicate parents and their children twice a year. But we, we baptize believers, and anyone, I don't care their age, if they have a solid testimony of their personal faith in Jesus Christ, then we encourage them to be baptized. If you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, Jesus set the example, and then he asked once, after we're saved, that we are willing to stand before others and be baptized as he was to identify that I am a child of God and my sins are forgiven and I'm rejoicing in my Savior. It's a great external witness of an internal reality in our lives. And so if you haven't been baptized, I'd love for you to sign that card. There's a place on there that says, I want to be baptized. We'll follow up with you. Just put it in that little basket there and we can follow up with you and you can be a part of that baptismal service on March the 29th. We have a baptikuzi. 
and uh, it has little bubbles in it if you want it, but we usually don't use them. It's kind of nice. I enjoy setting in it at home. No, I don't really. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Number four. Number three. The third step of preparation for Jesus was his temptation. Now, what's interesting is this. Jesus, okay, learned in the temple and amazed people. Jesus was baptized by John, the one who prepared the way. And then immediately after his baptism, you got to realize, man, this is a big deal. Oh, the dove came and the father said, this is my son. Everything, oh, top of the mountain type stuff. Then immediately afterwards, we read this in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. And this is about the temptation of Jesus. And that was part of his preparation. It says this. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted. So when you see the Spirit compelling, that means God wants you to do something. And God the Father wanted his Son to go through this time of testing. We'll see why. But it says the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals. And angels took care of him. The Bible tells us that for 40 days he fasted. I mean, he was humanly weak. And it was during that time, from the mountaintop down to the wilderness, the valley, it was during that time that Satan tempted him. Three strong attacks. One was to satisfy his hunger apart from the will of God. Another was to test God's promise of protection. And number three was to deny God's calling on his life. Now, the reason Jesus did that was twofold. One, so that he could be tempted in every way as a human being like we are. We read about it in Hebrews 4.15. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So the first thing we see in this wilderness temptation was that Jesus obeyed his father. Okay? But then the second thing he did is he showed us how to be victorious over sin in our own lives, over disobedience to the father in our own lives. So, let me show you the key. Watch this. Jesus' victory is our victory. And I want you to understand something, okay? We talk about this every once in a while here because it's so hard for us to grasp. The grace of God gives us everything we need. So with the Holy Spirit of God living in every believer, we have all the power to be victorious over sin and Satan and death and hell. Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so Jesus bought for us on the cross of Calvary victory. We don't have to yield to disobedience. He bought the victory for us. Now, how do we get the victory? He showed us. There's two ways he had the victory in the wilderness. One was he took the word of God. Notice what it says. This, Jesus' victory is our victory when we follow his plan for overcoming temptation. What is that plan? Number one, through scripture. He just took the Bible and he threw it right at Satan. He just took the words of scripture and he threw them right at Satan. And that's why the Bible says, hide God's word in your heart so that you will not sin. 
That's the reason that the words of God are like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so we know how to go instead of wandering off into disobedience. Jesus showed us the way to have victory over disobedience in our lives as children of God is the word of God first and then secondly, relying on the power and the protection of the Holy Spirit. See, what we have to realize every day, and we need to tell the Lord every day, I can't live this life for you, Lord, unless you live it through me. So Holy Spirit living in me, live that life out through me. Protect me from any disobedience. Uh, provide all of the, uh, of the strength that I need to stand strong for my Father. Okay? Jesus proved himself to be the sinless Son of God with this temptation because he stood strong and he rejected any kind of disobedience to the Father. He did not sin. Now, you and I experience this, don't we? We experience the mountaintops and the valleys. We experience the victories and then the temptations and the defeats and the discouragements, okay? Jesus showed us how to deal with those. See, what I love about Christ is he never asked us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do in the first place. So if he says live for the Father, he lived for the Father. If he says obey the word of God, then he obeyed the word of God. And he says that's how you have victory in your life. By the way, just another little promo. I'm sorry for all these little inserts, but uh, this week we went to see a movie, a premiere, a movie that's going to come out in March 13th in the theaters. And it's called I Still Believe. It's the uh, story of... Uh, He's Jeremy Camp, great singer. And uh, boy, is his story something else. And I just encourage you to go see that movie because it shows how you can be on the mountaintop and then immediately without even knowing it, be thrown right in the valley. And then the question is, do you still believe? Do you still believe? Or, or do you just believe when everything's good up here on the mountaintop? Or are we going to stick by the stuff and obey the Lord and believe in him when the floor falls out underneath us? And that can so easily happen in this life on this earth. So Jesus was tempted and he was victorious and he says, you can be too. You can be too. Then the final thing was this. Uh, Jesus chose those close to him. Jesus needed some people to work with him. While he was going to be on this earth doing his work, he wanted some followers to be with him. So he chose people who were close to him, ultimately. We call them the disciples. Let me read it to you real quickly, and we're through. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water. But they fished for a living, and Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Now, you've got to understand, that is amazing. These guys have been fishermen all their life, and here's this guy comes along and says, Hey, leave that and follow me. And they got up immediately and followed him. I think the reason is because when they were around the Sea of Galilee fishing, while they were fixing their nets, they were hearing Jesus preaching all this stuff to these people on the hillside. 
And it was so touching to them that when he came along to them, whether they believed in him or not, he said, follow me. They said, man, I think I'd rather follow him than do this fishing stuff. They're stinky anyway. Okay? And so they immediately left, and they followed him. And they left their nets at once and followed him a little further up the shore. He saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. <laughs> they were fishermen also. And he called them to come too, and they immediately... I just, this is just amazing. See, this is how you become a disciple of the Lord. When you don't say, oh, well, Lord, when I get older, or Lord, when I'm ready, or Lord, after I get my education and get a job, make some money... Immediately, they followed him, leaving the boat <laughs> and their father stranded, left him alone. Jesus needed helpers while he was on earth, and he still calls us to follow him today. See, Jesus is wanting people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ who are not ashamed to be able to say, I know who I believe in, and I am glad to tell you about it. And if you don't like me, or if you don't like him, then you have the problem I don't. Because I'm glad to tell you about my Savior. He wants followers like that. You know, when he was on earth, in John chapter 8, verse 12, we read, he said this, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. I mean, he said, man, you just follow me and everything will be good because if you do things the way I do them, you'll watch your life really fit together. But then, before he left this earth, he made this statement to his people, the ones who would follow him, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And, and, and this is very humbling because he's the light of the world. And he looked at you and me and he said, you are the light of the world now. I'm going to go back to be with my father. You are the light of the world. If this world's going to have any light in its darkness, if it's going to know any truth in its untruths, then it's going to come from you my followers. It says, you are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. He says, it's like a light on a hillside. He says, I want your light to shine. So there'll be like good deeds that shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise you and me? No. They give all the praise to the Father. Look what God has done with that person's life. Only God could do that. They can't do that by themselves. Well, here's our key thought for today. Every significant event in the purposes of God has a time of intense preparation first. <laughs> And I don't have time to go through this, but I'm just going to very quickly tell you what our preparation is here at Simple Church. And this is all we do. This is all we're prepared to do, is our mission and our vision. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. Love God, love others, and serve our world. 
Our mission is this. We are a movement that connects people into strong relationships with Jesus and each other through deliberately simple, conversational-style churches. That's all we want to be. We hope there will be several of us around this city someday doing the same thing, loving God, loving others, serving our world. And so we've adopted, during our 2020 vision, four cultural commitments one is we're made to move, and that means we're going to be a church that boldly assumes that God is wanting to do things through his people like we've never even yet dreamed of, and we're willing to move wherever he wants us to move. We're willing to do whatever he wants us to do, and our ministry team and our lead team are committed to that, and I hope you are also, because God's going to keep doing things this year that we haven't even yet expected. Made to move. Secondly, we're created to connect. We are created to connect with God, and that's why we're doing two years of truth, Bible study, uh, Bible reading every day. Man, yesterday's was so good. I haven't read today's yet, but yesterday's so good about the Samaritan woman. And we're reading the Bible through in the next two years, and we're studying through the Bible in the next two years so that we get to know this truth that can set us free. So we connect with God, and then we connect with each other. And the way we do that is through table talk, which if I ever shut up, you'll get to do. Okay? And table talk is the time where you get to take uh, just to get to know each other and enjoy each other. And share maybe some thoughts from this, the lesson or just from your life or ask questions or just whatever you want. But it's the way we seek to connect with each other. And then we have life groups and Bible studies, men's and women's and life groups. And, and you can be a part of that. And we announce that uh, every semester. We want, to con- we want to see people connected. We don't want people just to come here and look at the back of people's heads, eat a donut and walk out and never even know anybody because that's not church. That's a meeting, but it's not church. Okay. The third thing is, we're made to move, we're created to connect, we're saved to serve. And we believe that the thing that we must always be available to do, and it goes with our fourth thing, which is blessed to, to bless. We are, we are people who want to serve and bless others. And so that means that, that every way we can, We seek to be available to meet the needs of people in our church and in our city and in ministries in our city. We stand with different ministries. We stand with people outside our church who have needs. And we stand with those here in our own church who have needs. This week, two different different people in our church had fear removed for them because where there's perfect love, it casts away all fear. So someone got a set of tires on their, on their car and others got groceries that they needed this weekend. We're available. Any genuine need, we're there to meet it. Because we're blessed to bless and we're saved to serve. To use our time and our talents and our treasures to forward the kingdom of God so that everyone may see your good deeds, your, your life of Christ and give glory to the Father in heaven. So, I guess all I can say is we want to be prepared. Do you want to be prepared in your life? See, this week is another week of preparation. And you've heard God's word. You've seen how Jesus was prepared. Now, what are we going to do with it? I want to show you a final verse. Then I promise you, I quit. James 1.22. But don't just listen to God's word. This is what drives me nuts. 
It's so easy, even in our little readings on a daily basis, to read it and then forget it. God says, every time you hear my word, every time you read my word, every time you think of my word, he says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. In other words, know the word and obey the word, because he says, otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Oh, I went to church today and sang a couple songs, ate a donut, and said hi to two people. You know, if that's all you do, you're fooling yourself. It's not church. Church is us loving and caring for and preparing each other for the next thing God has for us. And only he knows what that is, but I'm excited because we're going to keep experiencing that in each of our lives. May we never fail to let God prepare us for the next thing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus. As we continue to see Jesus, may we just jump up and down in praise as to who you are and what you do. Thank you for the example of our Savior. So we have no excuse not to obey. You've already shown us how. You've already set the pace. You've already obeyed. Now help us to follow you. Bless us in this time of uh, connecting and fellowship and love and sharing. And may through this time and through this day, may we not leave here foolish and forget, but may we leave here wise and be prepared for all you have for us this week. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're new or want to know more about our Simple Church family, you can visit us online at simple.church or by downloading our simple.church app.